From Gimlet Media, it's Startup. I'm Lisa Chow. Any big success requires looking failure in the eye. Because success and failure, they're not as far apart as people think. This idea is at the center of a new show from Gimlet Media called Without Fail. It's hosted by Gimlet's founder, Alex Bloomberg. He'll ask people who have pursued incredible things, what worked, what didn't, and why. Questions he's still grappling with as CEO. You can hear the first two episodes of Alex's brand new show, Without Fail, right here on October 5th. In the meantime, we're going to bring you a two-part story from a previous season of Startup, where we explored similar questions about success and failure. Alex was my co-host. A quick warning, there's explicit language in this episode, so if you've got kids around, you might want to wait for another time to listen. And Lisa, we are going to kick this off with a story about startups that happens all the time, but that often doesn't get told. The story involves these two guys. Emmett and Justin. They've been friends in second grade, and they went to college together. And when senior year rolled around, as most people were interviewing for jobs, they found themselves wanting to do something different. It was 2004, Facebook had just launched, Silicon Valley was on the rise, and Emmett and Justin thought, hey, maybe we should start our own company. I met the two of them at a bar recently. They still hang out every week. And they told me the story of how they came up with the idea for their company. It happened the moment they saw a new product that Google had launched called Gmail. We saw Gmail came out and then it was like, oh, there could be a calendar version of this or like a calendar accompaniment. So it's more like an MBA startup in that way, actually, where you just like think of an idea you think could be a thing and then try to like make it happen. I mean, that's really, you were just like, Gmail calendar. Yes. Literally, that was, oh, this Gmail thing is brilliant. Like, you can make applications on the web. They made email. What goes with email? Like, oh, calendar. Someone should make a calendar. A classic thought. Someone should. Lots of people think it. Entrepreneurs actually do it, even when sometimes they shouldn't. Emmett and Justin started coding. They dreamed of creating a calendar on the web that acted just like the calendar on your desktop. Create an event, click on it, move it, delete it, without ever having to reload the web page. They launched, got some press, got some users. Then, almost a year into their company, and you probably saw this coming, the creators of Gmail, well, they had the exact same idea. I remember the day Google Calendar launched. Um... Seeing it and thinking, well, these guys are dead. That's their friend Steve. He was working on his own startup at the time. There was the notion that summer of Google was a company to be feared. That if you were in Google's path, you were dead. So don't do something that Google would ever consider doing. So right away, their friends could see they were doomed. But Justin and Emmett, it took them a while to figure it out. Here's Emmett. We spent about three months in denial thinking, like, this is just like any other competitor. We'll, like, invent the next thing we can build that'll put us out ahead of them. And then we increasingly realized over a period of three months that there is no next thing we can build that's going to put us out ahead of them by just, like, thinking of features. So they've built most of the stuff that we've thought of, and they have a Gmail integration, and, like, I don't know, like, what else what do we want to do? Uh, and so about three months in, we're like, fine. Like, we basically admit defeat and that we can't come up with any other good ideas. Emmett and Justin spent the next two months in a funk sitting on the couch, eating cheap Chinese food, and playing video games, trying to figure out what do we do now. And this moment, when nothing's working, when you don't know how to save your company, this is the moment we're going to be talking about. Because it's a pivotal moment 
It's the moment when so many things can happen. You can quit the startup life altogether, you can question your very existence, or you can find your next big idea. In the case of Justin and Emmett, it was actually pretty clear. After Google came in, they knew it was time to hang it up. And they did. In 2006, they officially called it quits. But that's actually a rare case in startup land where it is that unequivocal. Often, it's the opposite. Failure isn't clean and clear. Instead, it's a near-death experience followed by a last-minute reprieve, another brush with death, another resurrection. The cycling back and forth can go on for years. And that is exactly what happened with Justin and Emmett's second company, the one they launched after Google killed their first attempt. And their experience there was pretty extreme, even for the startup world. The near deaths kept piling up. The resurrections were even more unexpected and miraculous. Well, that's the story we're going to be telling today. Lisa Chow, take it away. In 2006, when Google obliterated their first company, Emmett and Justin were a year out of college, just 22 years old. They were living in Boston at the time, and they were still having those sort of college-y, stonerish thoughts about the world. But because they were also into being entrepreneurs, those thoughts could turn into businesses. And one day, they had this idea. Hey, our conversations are super interesting. What they thought next may sound a bit familiar to fans of this podcast. Here's Justin. One day I was like, you know, we should just record these conversations. Um, and that, you know, maybe it'd be an interesting insight into, you know, how a startup works or like, you know, a non-functional startup in this case. And this is Emmett. Justin had the idea of like, oh, well, we should just like record them and post them online. And that's somehow like, start, we have one of those conversations where it's like, you know, it's like a, a nuclear chain reaction, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, we should post this online. Well, we're too lazy to do that. Why don't we just like live stream all of our conversations all the time? Well, if we're going to do that. Why don't we like do it with video also? Because like, you know, that would be that like people might want to have the video. I don't really know why they would want that. Yeah. And then, and then if we're like, well, if we're gonna do, if we're gonna live stream all of the conversations. We might as well just like set it up to live stream some, someone's entire life, twenty four seven. Justin took the critical step, which is, I should actually stream my life twenty four seven on the internet. That should be our next startup. They thought. Justin was so excited about this idea, he started telling all his friends about it. Friends like Dustin. I thought it was the dumbest idea on the planet. Obviously, Justin was just trying to be a celebrity. Then there was his friend, Michael. We were having dinner together, and uh, he explained this idea, and it sounded like the worst idea ever. Um, it continually sounded like the worst idea for, for months. Steve, the Steve who said Emmett and Justin were dead the day Google Calendar launched, he loved the idea of Justin live-streaming his life 24-7. Oh, I was fully supportive. Um, 100% supportive. But not for the reasons Justin would have liked. I wanted to see my friends do something really stupid. Um, and I thought it would be hilarious uh, at best and extremely embarrassing at worst. And what's the downside? People's objections to the idea were many. Mostly, why would anyone want to watch a bunch of guys talking, sleeping, doing the mundane tasks of daily living for 24 hours straight? when there's actually interesting things to watch on TV. But also, even if people did want to watch, it wasn't going to be easy for the team to pull off. Remember, this was 10 years ago. People weren't documenting their lives the way they are now. Most cell phones didn't have video cameras. 
and video bandwidth was very expensive and not very good quality. They'd have to build all the technology, the camera, the way of making it portable and wearable, and linking it to the internet. And they'd have to do it in a way that didn't break their bank account. These reasons were all so compelling that the company almost died right there, before it was even born. In fact, when Emmett and Justin finally started going out to try and raise money for their next venture, they didn't even plan on pitching the live streaming idea at their first investor meeting. They presented a totally different idea, an idea so bad that it seems like satire to our 2016 ears, an on-demand service that would turn your blog into a coffee table book. The investor said, what else you got? And it was only at that moment that they said, well, there is this live streaming idea. To their surprise, the investor liked this one. He thought it was weirder, and the ambition behind it was bigger. If you're going to disrupt something, why not go for something big like TV, not the coffee table book industry? And so he gave them $50,000. Near death, resurrection, in one pitch meeting. With the new seed money, Justin and Emmett decided to move to the Bay Area, where a lot of tech companies were starting up. They put out a call to their friends. Hey, we're going on a road trip to California. Does anyone want to join us? Michael, that friend who said their idea was the worst idea ever, he thought, why not? He needed a vacation. He had been working on a Senate campaign that had just lost. And so the three friends packed into a Honda Civic and spent five days on the road driving out to San Francisco. Here's Michael. The day we got to the city, I'd never been to San Francisco before. I'd never been west of Kentucky. We were at Treasure Island, had this beautiful view of downtown. And it was October, and it was sunny, beautiful weather, and it was Fleet Week, and the Blue Angels were practicing. So there were fighter jets flying over the city. And I was just like, this is magical. This was vacation for Michael. But for Justin and Emmett, all they could think about was getting to work. And Michael found himself pitching in. He helped them find an apartment, open a bank account. Meanwhile, Justin and Emmett recruited someone from MIT to help build the hardware. And when Justin was driving Michael to the airport to return home to the East Coast, he asked him, why don't you stay here and join the company? Just think about it. Michael was like, sure, whatever, and went back to Baltimore to figure out what was next for him. But when he was home, he couldn't stop thinking about Justin's offer. A couple things occurred to me. One... When is your great friend going to ask you to start a business with him? Like everything else in life, all the companies I could work for, all of the campaigns I could do, they are always coming, right? They're always there. Mm -hmm. This might be the only time this ever happens in my life. And that was a little intimidating almost. It was like, oh man, I can't just ignore that. The second thing was they did have $50,000, which at the time, it was like, that's like an unlimited amount of money. (laughs) Um, And they had this guy who was going to build the camera. And so somehow my brain morphed from like, I will never work at this company to, oh, like basically this is all legit. Like we're going to clearly win. But I'm curious what you thought of the idea still. I might have still thought it was a bad idea. Yeah, I don't know. Because it seems like a very big logical inconsistency, right? <laughs> like, I think, like, you know what the difference is? Is that, like, I think there's a difference between the idea and a company. I think I convinced myself that a company existed, like, was, was happening. And the idea, I think I somehow separated that and was just like, well, something's going to happen. I still think the number one thing that got me was 
this is once in a lifetime. You know, people always say like life gives you opportunities and you gotta take them. Everyone else thought this was a bad opportunity, but I was like, if it's a unique opportunity, that means something. So two weeks after that flight home, Michael packed up all of his stuff and moved into the same two-bedroom apartment he had helped Justin and Emmett find their first week in California. He set up his bed in the living room. And I do remember the first night sleeping on that futon. And like uh, our apartment actually had a view of Alcatraz and there's a lighthouse. And so every 30 seconds, like the light flashes through the living room of the apartment uh, all night. And I just remember thinking like, what did I do? I moved my entire world to the opposite coast. It was very far away from family. I had this girl I guess I was technically dating who now lived six hour flight from me. I had no money. I was like, what did I do? Like, it, not like as a negative, but just more like, look at what I did. Coming up, Michael, Justin, and Emmett learn that recording your startup 24-7 is a giant pain in the ass and doesn't always go the way you plan. That's right after these words from our sponsors. Welcome back to Startup. I'm Lisa Chow. So here's the team that's launching this company. The president was Justin, the charismatic ideas kid from Seattle with a love of silly pranks and a double major in physics and philosophy. The CTO was his childhood friend Emmett, who majored in computer science and who many considered the smartest person they knew. Michael, the former political operative, who, if you remember, called this company the worst idea ever, he was now CEO. And there was a fourth co-founder, the guy from MIT who was going to build the hardware, who actually dropped out of college to join the team, a guy named Kyle. He'd be VP of engineering. The team worked together for three months before launching the site. Remember, this was before most cell phones had video cameras, before the first iPhone had ever been released. So live streaming your life was a lot more difficult back then. The plan was Justin would clip a camera to a hat he'd wear all day long. That camera would be connected to a 30-pound computer that he'd carry around in a backpack. And that computer would send data over the cell phone network. Just to give you a sense of 30 pounds, that's about the weight of my three-year-old son. Imagine carrying a kid on your back wherever you went. So that was how they'd live stream Justin's daytime activities. When Justin would sleep, he'd put the camera on a tripod pointed at his bed, so you'd be able to watch his life around the clock. It would be the real Truman Show. Justin wasn't without his doubts. We'd gotten funding, we'd recruited Kyle and Michael, and we had built this technology. And the night before we were like gonna go live, I was like, holy fuck, what did I agree to do? I kind of like, before it was all a theoretical, and the night, night before I was like, oh, this is very real. This is, uh, this is my life now. I agreed to do this. Michael said, for the rest of the team, though, Justin put on his game face. If Justin didn't want to do it, it couldn't happen, right? And so when you're seeing Justin, oh, no problem, I'll strap a 30-pound backpack to my back. Oh, I'll wear a camera on my head. I'll... Like, I will do all of these things, which I think some people might have thought were, like, glamorous. But we were there. Nobody wanted to trade places. In March 2007, Justin went live. 
and people went to the site. They watched his every move, sleeping, eating a sandwich, going on dates, going to an acrobatics class, even jetting off to Hawaii and getting lost in Honolulu. Well, I've got the, I've got Google Maps on my phone. Hold up. This is ridiculous. I am going towards the beach, I think. I just got to pass this freeway thing. And for the first couple of weeks, Justin became a mini-celebrity in Silicon Valley. Ann Curry interviewed him on The Today Show. Do you like your privacy? Well, one guy in San Francisco isn't worried about it. He's got his own cameras watching what he's doing at all hours, and he's sending the video out to the world. He was interviewed on NPR. We really get to see the world from his point of view. Well, I mean, this is a, a real, a true story, right? We're not making this up. Everything's unscripted. This is really what it's like to, you know, be Justin. And in an interview with Geek Entertainment Television, the reporter is sitting in Justin's apartment where beer cans, socks, and clothes are strewn everywhere. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> I thought it'd be awesome to let people see what it was like to be Justin. And, you know, it is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is very, very awesome. Maybe a little messy. At any given moment, thousands of people were watching Justin. And companies like Zipcar, Balls Energy Drink, and GoDaddy signed up to sponsor the site. Suddenly, even though they were still four guys working out of their apartment, they became super busy. Very quickly, we just started having tons of work to do. There's tons of press people around. There are people chatting to us. This is Michael, the CEO. The amount of work that I had to do started, like, ramping up by the minute. And then, of course, Justin had to be a celebrity and Emmett and Kyle had to keep everything running. So, yeah, no, it was like... It was not a slow and steady launch. It was a very violent, exciting launch. <laughs> violent. Violent. Well, yeah, I mean, it was just, just a lot of work. It was just very, people were really into it. There was about a month there where it was just like craziness. The team had planned to start a bunch of live streaming shows that they produced in-house one by one. They had already started plotting out their second show, a real version of Sex and the City, where they'd plant a camera on a young woman living in New York. Their ultimate goal was to build something so cool it would replace television. But very quickly, they realized their young startup faced a serious challenge, a challenge that was integral to the content. It was so boring. This is Dustin, one of Justin's friends. People would actually end up watching him sleep, which was creepy. He wasn't doing anything. He was just him. When you watch the footage, what stands out is how little happens. Like, for example, here, Justin is sitting at his desk in front of his computer. He's chatting with someone about a website. He yawns, takes a sip of water. Trust me, visuals do not make this any more interesting. We had zero media experience, right? Like, it sounds weird. Like, when we talk to people from media, I think they were, like, kind of just like, what are you doing? You don't know anything about media, and you're not even going about something that's going to, in a way that's going to create usable, interesting content. You know, I mean, people film 60 minutes of content to make one minute of content, right? I mean, you know this, right? You record hours and hours and hours of stuff to just get five minutes. Well, for every minute of content we were producing, we were streaming out one minute of content, and 59 seconds of that was boring. His viewers noticed. They were constantly live chatting him, telling him they were bored, and couldn't he go out and entertain them? Talk to some girls or something. In a desperate attempt to get stuff to happen on camera, 
they started pulling pranks on him. When Justin went out to a restaurant, for example, people at home watching would recognize the street, the location, and start calling the restaurant and harassing the managers as a way to create some excitement on the show. Some people called in fires at Justin's apartment. One time, someone called 911 to report a stabbing, and police showed up at their place with guns drawn. Is this complete? Who's here? Can we get down in the chest in here? No, no, no. Shit. A month into their show, seven months into their company, Justin and the team realized their idea was not working. All the media attention had disappeared, despite the fact that Justin was still wearing the camera and carrying around this heavy backpack, which was killing his back, by the way. And for what? Justin says most people would come to the site and then immediately leave and never come back. Roughly a month after launch, there weren't thousands of people watching at any given time. It was more like dozens. Feeling like things aren't working is like a horrible feeling, right? Like you made all these promises to investors and to employees and to customers about how like awesome the future was going to be. And when it's like not happening, you feel like you have way overpromised. I mean, I, I think I have a guilty personality like, I have a guilt complex personality generally, but it, like, really fire, you know, comes alive when you're, like, feel like you let people down, right? And you, like, um, aren't living up to expectations. In season two of Startup, we called this period of a company's life the trough of sorrow, when the adrenaline rush of starting your own company or launching your product has worn off, when nobody seems to want the thing you've created, when you've put months of work into something that just isn't working. And there's no telling if that will ever change. And this is the moment when founders often question themselves, question the premise their company was built on, and wonder, should I quit or should I push ahead? Coming up next week, Justin and his team answer this question. And we'll hear how this small, scrappy startup wound up in a place they never thought they'd be, facing off against a multi-billion dollar industry, an industry that has powerful friends in Washington. The Judiciary Committee has convened today's hearings to discuss an emerging form of piracy. That's next week on Startup. This episode was edited by Alex Bloomberg, Peter Clowney, Caitlin Roberts, Molly Messick, Bruce Wallace, and Luke Malone. Additional research by Simone Palanen. Mark Phillips wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. Matthew Boll and Peter Leonard mixed the episode. To subscribe to the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Startup. Or check out the Gimlet Media website, gimletmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 